Welcome back for episode 37 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Mystery of Babylon the Great. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. In our last episode, we were in chapter 16 of Revelation, where seven angel priests pour out judgments on the wicked. The last judgment is going to fall on Babylon, the city that symbolizes the wicked world. In this episode, we look closely at the fall of Babylon. Okay, in ancient Babylon, there was a temple called Etimenanki, which, which meant the house of the foundation of heaven. It was nearly 300 feet tall and 300 feet around. Wow. And the worshipers at this temple of Etimenanki, they climbed seven levels to the shrine of the god Marduk. And Marduk's idol, his symbol, was a, a serpent dragon, interestingly enough. <laughs> and um, a triangular glyph. Now, a glyph is a... Um, it's like a letter of the alphabet that's carved out of stone. It's like a monument, okay? And it uh, suggests the mark of the beast because it was a triangle. Okay? Mm, okay. We've talked about this yeah. in, in our preceding episodes. Now, Etimanunki was a counterfeit temple, and that's what we're going to kind of focus on here. It was a phony temple that supposedly stood at the center of the world. It, supposedly, it was the axis of the universe. Babylon, you know, in its pride, saw itself as the center of the world, right? And the temple was the center of Babylon. Uh, it stood right at the center of the Babylonian Empire, which saw itself as supreme among the nations, okay? Conquest and plunder made that city wealthy. It was a hateful place. Uh, entire cities like Jerusalem were, were raised to the ground and their riches taken in order to enrich Babylon. The Babylonians were also very skilled at making propaganda. They actually convinced a lot of these enslaved nations that they were the greatest empire. So, um, but also, and this complicates things a little bit, uh, this part of Revelation is a tale of two cities. Uh, the two cities are Babylon and Jerusalem. So just like Jerusalem historically, or, or rather in scripture, it represents the Lord's base of operations, right? Mm -hmm. Babylon signifies Satan's base of operations. So in other words, it's, this is really a tale of two cities, mm -hmm. one against the other. Of course, Babylon was a real place, but it was also for John a symbol of evil, of, this, of Satan's base of operations. Now at the beginning of chapter 17, he's going to see another remarkable vision. Could you read... Uh, Chapter 17, verses 3, 4, and 5. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-covered beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth wow okay wow now um in the book of mormon an angel shows nephi the same scene quote behold that great and abominable church which is the mother of abominations the whore of all the earth she sat upon many waters and she had dominion over all the earth among all nations. 
So we're going to uh, go into an explanation of this vision. Okay. The woman is Babylon, quote, that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, which you read. In Greek, the polis megale, or, or the megalopolis. That's a term we know. Mm-hmm. Megalopolis. We, there are many in the world today. Therefore, from Nephi, we learn that Babylon is also the church of the devil. Now, this Hebrew word that's translated here as church is probably kachal, which literally meant any assembly or group. So it doesn't refer to a necessarily a, um, a particular religion. It refers to any assembly or group that is uh, devoted to carrying out Satan's operations. Right. So Babylon is that combination of powers that exercise unrighteous dominion over the earth and, and constantly tempt Adam's posterity with power and riches. Okay. When Nephi calls Babylon a whore, what he means is that this worldwide civilization combination trades virtue and integrity for money and power. Mm. Why is Babylon symbolized by a woman? Probably because the goddess of Babylon was was uh, the goddess Venus, who is the the evening star, right? That becomes visible at sunset. We're going back to astronomy again. Mm-hmm. The woman rides a scarlet beast, and the ancients uh, uh, saw Venus as um, you know it's the evening star. They saw it as setting in a kind of a red sky, a sunset. And interestingly enough, it, she sets. Uh, over a constellation we've seen before, Leviathan or Cetus, the sea beast. So she's riding the sea beast, okay? Mm, So it's an astronomical symbol, Venus on the sea beast, okay? Mm -hmm. Venus was worshipped under many names. She was a well-known figure from Spain all the way to Persia. One of her titles was the Great Harlot. Like other Mesopotamian cities that adopted patron star deities, um, Babylon claimed Venus as their special star, right? Venus under the name of Ishtar. That was their name for Venus. Mm-hmm. What is the significance of the beast she rides on? Well, we've met that creature before, too. Quote, Revelation seventeen seven: The beast that carrieth the woman hath seven heads and ten horns. Now, we, we've seen him before. This is yeah. the sea beast. Sea beast, yeah. That stands for tyrannical governments. Mm. Um, the heads and horns stand for all tyrannical, despotic rulers, and and no doubt specifically the Roman emperors that um, John was familiar with. And in verse 9, we learn that the seven heads, quote, are seven mountains, says John, and on which the woman sitteth. Now, the angel here is probably referring to the seven hills of Rome, like Babylon enslaves not only bodies but also souls. The beasts work on both our bodies and our souls. And Rome was just another manifestation of Babylon, uh, the seat of the terrible and shameless prince of this world. And just as the number seven can signify perfection, it can also signify the opposite, right? The, The counterfeit kingdom of the devil. It says that the beast she rides is full of names of blasphemy. What does that mean? The names of blasphemy are the names of all the false objects of worship in all times. Idols of all kinds, false religions, false doctrines of all kinds. Satan's um, way of operating is is to mock the Father's plan, right? By promoting another plan, a counterfeit plan, and he promotes it everywhere. 
he uses the power of the beasts to build phony temples for profane ordinances that mirror the true order of the priesthood and desecrate the most sacred of ordinances, in particular the ceiling. So why is the woman called Mystery? The name Mystery on her forehead, that's in verse 5, means secret ritual in Greek. It doesn't mean what, we mean, what, what it means today. Uh, to us, the word mystery refers to something we can't figure out. Right? Mm-hmm. But in those days, it referred to a ceremony. Okay? A mystery was a ceremony. Hmm. So she has written on her forehead the name of a ceremony that mocks and imitates the mysteries of godliness, which are the temple ordinances. Satan substitutes his own mysteries, his own blasphemous rites, for the true ordinances of the priesthood. And one of his mysteries, one of his rituals, is to seal his followers to himself. (laughs) Okay? In the temple, we are sealed to Christ, right, through our covenants. But but Satan has a sealing of his own. Mm. That's weird. This is an actual ordinance of Satan, and we learn that in the Book of Mormon. In Alma chapter 34, 35, I'll quote from it. It says, quote, If ye have procrastinated the day of your repentance even until death, behold, ye have become subjected to the spirit of the devil, and he doth seal you his. Mm. And the devil hath all power over you. That's, that's the quote from Alma. Now, can you think of anything more horrible than to be sealed to Satan? Uh, no. Okay. no. No, sir. So the mystery or ritual of Babylon mimics the true mystery of godliness, which is the endowment and the sealing. Okay? Now, first, this, this phony satanic system, it requires a temple, right? Mm-hmm. He's got to have a temple too, right? You've got a temple, well, I've got a temple. It's a great and spacious building. It's the pride of the world. Like the temple of Etamenanchi at Babylon, it's the headquarters of the oppressor. It's the golden city, the glory of all kingdoms, right? The temple of Babylon, interestingly enough, began as the Tower of Babel. Did you wow, know that? I did okay. not know that. Um, in Genesis, we read that uh, the people built a city and a tower whose top reaches unto heaven. Jewish legend says that um, a wicked king named Nimrod built the Tower of Babel, which possibly, the word Babel, Babel in Hebrew probably meant the gate of God. So it was a temple. The purpose of it was to insult heaven with idolatrous rituals. There were, there were anti-temples like this all over the Middle East. Archaeologists have dug up 29 of them, wow. right in the Middle East, of this type of temple. Oh. So the Tower of Babel was actually a bogus temple. Yep, and it was staffed with a bogus priesthood. If you're going to imitate the true temple, you need a priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the false priests of the world, what they do is they lure people into a sham, a showy ritual, ceremonies that distort the ordinances of the true priesthood. Uh, Hugh Nibley said, he said that Nimrod is the very symbol of rebellion against God and of usurped authority, and that he established at Babel a false priesthood and a false kingship over the earth in imitation of God's rule and made all men to sin. So in, in Jewish legend, the name Nimrod means desertion or apostasy. 
I thought I meant Mighty Hunter. Uh, yeah, well, that's true, too. He <laughs> was a Mighty Hunter, but the name itself means, what means says. something like, like apostate. It's apostate Mighty Hunter. Yeah. The Babylonian priesthood, what did they do? They administered sacrilegious oaths and covenants, probably based on the covenant of Cain. Remember, Satan made a covenant with Cain to give him power and riches in return for murder. Right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, of envy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Covetousness. The book of Helaman says that these, these phony oaths and covenants came down from, quote, that same being who put it into the hearts of the people to build a tower sufficiently high that they might get to heaven. So Helaman tells us that this is all, this wickedness is all due to um, the building of a phony temple. Okay. Cain's new name was Mahan, and it possibly means the highest or the supreme Cain, and it symbolized his ambition to rule the whole world, right? That's, that's a very familiar story to us. Mm -hmm. Now, counterfeit priests, you know, they also wore, wore uh, you know, sacred clothes. They, it was mimic sacred clothing of the temple, the true priesthood. They wore garments uh, Quote, adorned with motifs representing celestial symbols. So they had uh, markings on their, on their clothing. They also wore a red headdress to imitate the mother of harlots and a robe and sash, which they put on during a ceremony they called Taking of the Hand of God, in which they performed like, like actors various roles during these rituals. It was, a, it was essentially an imitation of the endowment, mm -hmm. which they knew about. The whole thing was a mockery of the endowment and the ceiling. At the coronation of a Mesopotamian king, he made an oath to rule as a shepherd of his people. But he ruled by plundering and degrading his neighbors and stealing their stuff and killing them. That's how he, that's how he ruled. He was acclaimed as a god, and then he got married in a uh, degraded ceremony to a goddess. And traditionally, the the priest king acting for the god and the high priestess of the city acting for Ishtar, or Venus, right? They engaged in ritualized sex at the spring New Year festival every year. The ceremony included, according to this um, scholar, included cross-dressing, bondage, and self-mutilation. According to an ancient historian named Herodotus, the Holy of Holies that stood atop the temple of Etamenanki, okay, in, in Babylon, contained a marriage bed where this divine union took place. So their temple was a place where you'd have sex with the goddess Venus. Okay. Now, just as Christ is married to Jerusalem, and that's from Isaiah 62, verse 4, he says, I'm married to Jerusalem, the Lord says. Just as Christ is married to Jerusalem, Satan is married to Babylon, uh, symbolized by the high priestess. And biblical scholars tell us that the, the idea of a city as a female figure has a very long history. In the Western Semitic Syrian region, it says here, and in the Judeo-Christian tradition, in the most ancient sources, the female personification of cities is associated with symbols of weddings. So the woman who rides the beast is also a false priestess. She carries a golden cup called a poterion in Greek. Um, and it is a special kind of cup, the Poterion. It, it, uh, it was full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, says mm -hmm. John, and the wrath of her fornication. 
Now, the word that John uses for the wrath is thimos, which uh, meant essentially violent lust. Okay, so it was a cup of violent lust, and her cup is obviously a mockery of the sacrament cup. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, quote, you cannot drink the cup, and he uses the word poterian, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Mm. You've got to choose. Right? right, right. Now, what makes this whole picture kind of shocking is that John is not really describing the real Babylon. He's using it symbolic, right? He's describing what the wicked Israelites are doing in Jerusalem, or what they've done. And Jerusalem has become Babylon. Wow. In John's vision. Well, that comes down from Ezekiel. Right. Ezekiel tells us that the Jewish elites practiced sacred sex in the temple of Jerusalem. And, and, and women worshipped Venus, and Venus's god, uh, consort god, Tammuz, who died and was resurrected. So this was all going on in the Jerusalem temple, too, back in Ezekiel's day. Now wow. the, Lord, the Lord's true enemies, then, are not the ignorant pagans, but, but Israelites themselves who practiced these things, and they, quote, polluted the temple. You're talking about a great and spacious building that is actually the temple of Jerusalem. It's been desecrated. That's right. All through the Old Testament, the prophets continually denounce the city of Jerusalem for breaking the ketubah, remember? Mm -hmm. The covenant of marriage with God. Quote, uh, this is from Ezekiel. Quote, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. I washed thee with water. I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee. And I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee with broidered work. But Jerusalem desecrated the tokens of the ketubah, pouring out fornications on everyone that passed by, says Ezekiel in chapter 16. But when the new Jerusalem comes, uh, later in Revelation, sorcerers and fornicators and idolaters and practitioners of the worship of the goddess Ishtar or Venus or Aphrodite in other words, um, the worshipers of all this stuff will be left out, right? And, and Babylonish evils actually went beyond sexual immorality. Uh, this is a quote from a, an Old Testament scholar named Reuben Zimmerman. He says, Fornication should not be here limited to sexual mores, but rather stands within a traditional concept of metaphors that identifies fornication with the service of false gods, Okay. So we're not talk just talking about fornication in a narrow sense. We're talking about it as just plain unfaithfulness to God mm -hmm. in our covenants. Okay, Israel continually went. Um, <laughs> the, the the phrase in the Book of Judges is Israel went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. That's a great uh, great phrase. So there was a real city called Babylon, but Rome is also Babylon, and so is Jerusalem. Yep, and it could be Salt Lake, okay? <laughs> whether it's, whether it's uh, Babylon or Rome or Jerusalem or any place like it, it's all the same system. Satan's capital city. It exercises unrighteous dominion over the nations. So let's read chapter 17, verse 15. Sorry, thanks. The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Okay, so... Um, this is, a, this is a metaphor that 
it's important to grasp this. She sits upon many waters. The waters are a symbol of the peoples of the nations. Why that is so, I don't know, but that's, that was a common metaphor among the, uh, the biblical writers, was that the waters unruly, and you know, they're, they're a symbol of people, of the peoples of the world. And so even today, the powers of this earth that oppress the peoples of the earth are all part of the Babylon system, right? And it's phony temple, and it's phony religion. And it all centers on the objectives of Cain, to murder and get gain. In our own time, greedy dictators, evil corporate powers, they have automated mass murder on a huge scale, right? Unimaginable scale. To get gain, political muscle puts nations, whole nations in spiritual, physical, intellectual bondage. Therefore, to prepare the world for a new creation, the Babylonian system has to come down. What do you mean by the Babylonian system? Well, Babylon as a city devoted to materialism. Into Babylon flow all the products of the world. It's a great marketplace. Would you read now, let's move on to chapters 18, chapter 18, verses 12 and 13. This is, this is what comes into Babylon. Okay. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyane wood, and all manner vessels of ivory, and all manner vessels of most precious wood, and of brass, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointment, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beast, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and the souls of men. Okay, so that's... This is the stuff that Babylon is is uh, focused on, right? Wow. Gain, gaining, gaining stuff, gaining stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so this Babylonian system uh, runs through all history, and I think it runs through some of our lives too. Okay. Yeah. Um, whole peoples have been annihilated in the name of getting this stuff, right? In the name of uh, civilization or or living space, or manifest destiny. The great powers in history, they civilize, civilize, right? They civilize Africa by stealing everything they have, right? Or they, or they Christianize subject peoples through forced labor, intimidation, and theft, and genocide, and, and rape on a huge scale. Bring Think, culture to the savages. Yes, bringing culture to them. Think of the tens of millions of Africans Jeez. who have died uh, and tortured and died under ruthless, ruthless slavers and colonizers and millions of Native Americans who died because of manifest destiny, right? America must, you know, the white man must, you know, conquer and possess. And, and look what's going on in the world today. We're, we're not through with this. We're not through with nations trying to conquer and wipe out other nations, right? That's so true, yeah. Now, the Latter-day Saints, what about us? Are we immune to Babylon? The spirit of Babylon kept the early Latter-day Saints from building Zion, according to Doctrine and Covenants so, 101. Quote, there were jarrings and contentions and envyings and strifes and lustful and covetous desires among them. Now, we're talking about Latter-day Saints here. Therefore, by
by these things they polluted their inheritances. And that's why they could not build Zion. Mm. Okay? And Brigham Young, when, when they came to Utah, he got up in conference and he asked the saints, he says, quote, Have we not brought Babylon with us? Are we not promoting Babylon here in our midst? I answer, yes, yes, we have too much Babylon in our midst. Okay, it's a fascinating quotation. Mm. I think it's still true. Now, in Babylon, you can have anything for money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even the souls of human beings. So what does it mean, Sam, do you think, when Las Vegas, which is the capital of commercial schlock and prostitution, um, is called, quote, the temple town of the American dream? What do you make of that? I would say it is the symbol of modern-day Babylon. Yeah. Vegas would be the uh -huh. symbol of the temple of Babylon with all of its counterfeits promising you ecstasy and happiness. And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> right. It is the epitome of wickedness yeah. in many ways. Well, it's, the, it's the capital of uh, prostitution. And, um, of course, there are many great good people who live there, too. But, of course. Yeah, but yeah, I joined the church in Las Vegas. Yes, you did. Yeah. And you're a native of Las Vegas. I am. Right? And, and, and the interesting thing, I was telling a friend of mine yesterday that, um, you know, in Vegas, you could get anything you wanted for money. Yeah. It was so real. I just remember learning this early and young. If you wanted anything, all you needed was money. Right. It didn't matter what it was. Mm -hmm. And it never settled with me. It seemed weird. Seems weird now. And it's called the temple town of the American dream. Well, what does that tell us about the American dream? It's, it's been corrupted. Yeah, it right? has. We no longer own our possessions. They own us, right? Right. And Babylon is, um, well, think of this long and beautiful description he gives, uh, that John gives of the merchandise, right? Every sort brought to the city. Um, but notice the very last thing in the list was the souls of men. Yeah, that was you can haunting. also buy the souls of men. Yeah, that was haunting to me. That's very haunting yeah, because yeah. Babylon buys and sells souls. Yeah, this, yes, it does. Um, and what that does is it brings on a kind of emotional despair, alienation, sense of meaninglessness, right? Despair. And thoughtful people. If you if you're a thoughtful person and, you, and and you're totally devoted to that stuff, if there's you ask if there's any point to a life that's devoted to acquiring more stuff, right? There, there was a, a good friend of mine, later, the, the late uh, LDS scholar Clayton Christensen. He died just a couple of years ago, but he, he went to Harvard Business School, and he described the people he ran into it as class reunions over the years. He says, quote, Over the years, I have watched the fates of my Harvard Business School classmates unfold. I've seen more and more of them come to reunions unhappy, divorced, alienated from their children, living lives of hollow unhappiness. They live in Babylon. Uh, the Lord says of these barren lives, quote, this is from Dr. Covenants 3511, a fascinating passage. Without faith shall not anything be shown forth except desolations upon Babylon. The same which has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Um, great passage. Babylon possesses the soul as a slave, right? It's the soul that is the object of Babylon. That's what Satan really wants. 
He wants to purchase your soul with money. Now, in this great city of Babylon, the powers of Satan all come together, political, economic, religious, and they all come together where? At the Sham Temple, right? This is a quote from Elder David Stone, the late David Stone. He was a very, I think, a very wise general authority of the church, and he said this, quote, No particular city personifies Babylon, but the principal building in this city was a temple to a false god. That sensuality, corruption, and decadence, and the worshiping of false gods are seen in many cities, great and small, scattered across the globe, right? So we're not pointing any particular city. But to prepare ourselves for a new creation, we must go out from the midst of Babylon. According to Doctrine and Covenants, we must go out from the midst of wickedness, which is spiritual Babylon. And that's why in Revelation 18 and 4, we hear this voice come out of heaven, hear this voice of the, of the Lord saying, quote, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. That's the voice of the Lord. President Russell M. Nelson, what does he say? He warns us that Babylon, is, I love this, Babylon makes so much noise, he calls it the beat, the steady beat of Babylon's band. Yes, now that, that man knows how to put a word together. He that does, phrase. that's very good. He calls it the steady beat of Babylon's band. Babylon makes so much noise that we can't hear the voice of the Spirit. And here's a quotation, another quotation from President Nelson. If you are not also seeking the Lord through daily prayer and gospel study, you leave yourself vulnerable to philosophies that may be intriguing but are not true. And so that's a, that's a quote. Now, um, he also says, we don't need to leave home to create Zion in the midst of Babylon. We can live in accordance with the Lord's laws right where we are. Uh, will it be hard? He says, of course it will. For the waves of Babylonian culture crash incessantly against our shores. <laughs> President Nelson, he's... Almost poetic, isn't he? Very poetic, yeah. And that's yeah. the latest word from the prophet. Mm. Okay. Next time we're going to see what happens, unfortunately, to people who choose to stay in Babylon. I don't want to be that person, that's for certain. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your time. Later.